Hello, I'm Derek Walker, I'm the pastor of Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to cover the controversial subject of the role of women in church life and ministry. Does the Bible teach women to be silent in church? Should they be able to preach, teach, pray, prophesy, give testimonies? What does the Bible say concerning women's ministry? That's the issue we're going to look at today. Some are very hardline, they take a very hard line and they say that women should be silent in church and certainly not preach. And one of the main scriptures that they use to support their case is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. And that's what we're going to study today. Let me read it to you. Let your women be silent in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as the law also says. And if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women, for women to speak in church. This scripture in particular seems to exclude women from any public ministry in church. And it seems very clear, doesn't it? But by the end of this talk, you might find yourself surprised at what this scripture is really saying. Now, many try and explain this scripture away as Paul's special command to a group of unruly women at the church in Corinth. And they're disturbing the service by gossiping and chatting and so forth. And so he's telling this special group to, sh to straighten up, to shut up, to be quiet, not to be disruptive. And it's just a special command to this group. It's not a command to all Christian women everywhere. But if we treat one scripture this way, what's to stop us treating every scripture like this? What gives us the right to pick and choose which scriptures we, we accept as applying to ourselves and which ones we, we reject? Can we really say that we're submitted to God's word and yet at the same time explain away scriptures like this that we don't like? Surely the New Testament's written for the whole church and therefore we must have very strong reasons to localize the scripture and just say it applies to a particular group at a particular time. And as we look carefully at this scripture, we'll see that it's clearly expressed as a universal command to the church for all women in all the churches. Verse 34 says, let your women keep silent in the churches. Notice the subject is women in the churches generally, not just a special group of troublesome women at Corinth. Moreover, he bases this command on the law. He says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for it's not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also the law says. This means it applies to all, just, rather than just a few in a particular situation. So we have to accept that this is a message to all the churches, not just to a specific group of women. To be submitted to the Bible, we must study any passage in its context. And when we've got a good understanding of it, then we must put it into practice. But we mustn't take the passage out of its context from the verses before and after it, or from the Bible as a whole, otherwise we'll have a wrong understanding, and we'll put it into practice in the wrong way. And so this is what I want to do with you right now. I want us to study this passage in the light of the context of the passage of 1 Corinthians and the New Testament as a whole, we're going to come to some surprising conclusions. First of all, let us consider what this passage is literally saying. The word for silent here means silent. It doesn't just mean quiet, it means absolute silence. Let your women keep silent in the churches. It is not permitted for them to speak. This is not saying, as Peter says, that women should have a quiet or meek spirit. It doesn't mean quietness, it means silence. It's saying that women must be completely silent in church. 
This doesn't just disqualify them from teaching and preaching, but also from testifying, praying, prophesying, and moving in the spiritual gifts. And actually, moving in the spiritual gifts is actually the subject of the immediate context of these verses from chapter 12 to chapter 14 in Corinthians. So it disqualifies them from contributing in the church service at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, Paul is giving guidance for the uh, operation of the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And it seems that these verses are disqualifying women from public participation in the gifts in the church life because they're obliged to be bound by this law of silence. And so this brings us to the first problem that we face with this passage. It contradicts Paul's other teachings. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says that may pray and prophesy in church. Well, that contradicts it, doesn't it? Then in Corinthians 12, verse 13 to 27, he teaches that all the members of the church, men and women, are members of the body of Christ, and they have a function in the body, working in coordination with each other. We can all be used, he says, in the gifts and ministries of the Spirit. And so, we see in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, he says, that all may prophesy. That's all the men and all the women may prophesy. And in verse 26 he says, when you come together, every one of you, men and women, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. In verse 31 it says, you may all prophesy one by one. Both men and women can speak the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, having said that, why would he say only three verses later that all women must be silent in church? Is he being double-minded? Can you see that this is a real problem? And so the first problem we see is that in the middle of encouraging everyone to move out in ministry, in the gifts of the Spirit, he suddenly changes his mind and tells the women to be silent. This also contradicts the spirit of the rest of the New Testament, where Jesus treats women with honor, where the churches have been set free from the Jewish traditions, giving men and women full equality in the church. As it says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there's neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ. In fact, the clearest contradiction is in one of the foundational scriptures of the church, which was spoken by Peter at the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, he quotes a prophecy by the prophet Joel, and Peter says in verse 16, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel, in the last days it will be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, on my men servants and my maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is declaring the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the church. The Holy Spirit, you see, is poured out equally upon all flesh, young, old, Jew, Gentile, male, female. They will all receive the Holy Spirit, enabling them all to speak God's word. They're all anointed to prophesy. That's the hallmark of the church. So now why is Paul saying that women are not allowed to say anything in the church? If God pours the Spirit on all flesh, male and female, giving them power for ministry, then why would God not allow women to move in ministry and to speak God's word? It doesn't make any sense. So this is the first problem with this command for women to be silent. It contradicts the rest of the New Testament, even 1 Corinthians. Now, some people try and avoid this by saying that what Paul really means is that women are not to preach. But that's not what it says. It actually says that women must be completely silent and, it, and must not speak in any way. 
So we mustn't change the words of Scripture to fit what we think it should mean. Now, the second problem with this passage is that it discourages women from even learning. Let's read it again, shall we? Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it's not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also the law says, and if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. The tone of this is condescending to women. Not only should they not speak in church, it's really optional for them to even learn the word. It's even mildly frowned upon as if it's not really their place. And if they want to learn, it says, let them ask their husbands. It's clearly contradictory to the New Testament teaching, and particularly with what Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy 2.11. It says, he says, let a woman learn. Let her learn. Here he encourages the women to study the word of God. And he's speaking against those who would discourage them from learning. So here's another problem. Thirdly, another problem is the authority that he used. It says, it is not permitted for women to speak, as also the law says. Now we need to investigate as to what this law is. You see, he uses the authority of a law to back up this command. What law is this? Well, there are basically four possibilities. First of all, it could be the law of Moses, the Old Testament. But when he refers to the Old Testament, he always uses the formula, it is written. But he doesn't in this situation. Secondly, it could refer to the teaching of Jesus. Thirdly, it could refer to the apostolic teaching, the tradition of Paul and the other apostles that they received from the Lord. The fourth possibility, and the only remaining one, is that it is the oral law of the Jews that later got written down as the Talmud. This was the interpretation of Moses' law by the scribes and Pharisees, and it's followed by the Orthodox Jews to this day, and they hold it as equal authority with the Old Testament. And they falsely claimed that it was passed down from Moses by word of mouth, and so, by, so they called it the oral law. And they attribute it to Moses himself to give it authority. And they put it on equal footing with the Old Testament, the written law of Moses. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus often clashed with the Pharisees over it because he rejected this oral law. He came against their traditions and its legalistic spirit. That's why he said, your traditions, he said, have nullified the word of God. He opposed these, this law of the Pharisees. Now, when 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 34 and 35, refers to the law of silence for women, could it be, be the law of Moses? Well, no. There's no such law in the Old Testament. It's not there. And Paul would have said, it is written, if it was, but he doesn't. Neither is it found in the teaching of Jesus. Neither could it be the apostolic teaching, because he's clearly referring to a pre-existing law. So, by a process of elimination, we have to deduce that this law of silence is from the Jewish oral law, their traditions, the laws of the Pharisees. And this is confirmed by the phrase, as also saith the law, a clear reference to the oral law, the law transmitted by word of mouth. If it was the written law, it would have said, it is written. So, it seems that this law of silence for women comes from the oral law of the Jews. And we can know this for sure, because these traditions got written down. And we can read them today, and yes, that is exactly what is in the Talmud. It's this law of silence, it's the teaching practiced today in the Orthodox synagogues. Their service is for men only. Women are discouraged from even learning. And sometimes, they're allowed to watch from the back gallery, but their place, you see, is at the home, not with spiritual things that are too high for them.
This is the attitude today of the ultra-Orthodox Jews. They get it from the Talmud. And for a woman to speak in a meeting would be a shameful thing for them. And that's exactly what is said. It is a shame for a woman to speak in church. Let me read you from some sayings from the Talmud to illustrate this, just to bless the ladies here. One prayer is, praise God, he hasn't created me a Gentile, a woman, or an ignorant man. The law, this law also says, the woman is in all things inferior to the man. Now, I'm not quoting from the Bible here, just in case you're getting worried. This is the Jewish Talmudic law. Only men could speak in public. No woman could give a testimony or conduct business. Women were viewed with disregard and repression. And the Talmud contains many distasteful insults of women's character. Women were to be avoided. They were not required to know the law, fulfill it, and few were learned. One said, may the word of the Torah be burnt rather than given to a woman. In public worship, women were segregated and silenced, and they had to ask their questions at home of their husbands. So clearly, the writer of 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 reflected this pharisaical attitude to women and used this Jewish law to support his views. So the third problem we have with this passage is, why would Paul establish a teaching on Jewish laws that elsewhere both he and Jesus rejected? You see, there are three problems. First, the teaching contradicts the teaching of Paul in the New Testament as a whole. Secondly, it discourages women from learning the word of God. Thirdly, it's based on Jewish traditions that were rejected by Jesus Christ. So what is going on here? This is a real problem. What is the answer to this dilemma? And the simple and stunning answer is this, that these verses are not Paul's teaching at all. Did you get that? This is not Paul's teaching. What are you saying, Derek? Let me explain it. Now, to understand this, we need to point out that many of Paul's letters are written in response to church situations, and 1 Corinthians is the most responsive of them all. In fact, the whole letter is Paul's responses to issues, questions, and problems that have arisen from the Corinthian church. The church had sent a letter to Paul with many questions, and there was disunity in the church. There were the Jews who tended towards legalism because of their traditions, and there were a group of Jews who tend of sorry, there were a group of Greeks who tended towards license immorality because of their background. And Paul goes through the issues and questions one by one, and there are times where Paul clearly is responding to one of the groups and to what they're saying. Often. He refers to what they were saying, and then he answers them. Sometimes he even quotes what they've said, and then he answers it. Now the problem with it for us is that there's no punctuation or quotation marks in the original Greek of the scripture, so it's up to the translator to decide where to put the full stops, the commas, the quotation marks. And sometimes they miss them, they get them wrong. Now, how can we tell if Paul is teaching something, or if he's quoting someone else and what they've said? Well, one obvious way of telling this would be if the, if the passage completely contradicts Paul's teaching and the teaching of the Bible. Then another indication would be that having quoted something, Paul gives an answer to it. Let me give you an example from 1 Corinthians itself of a quotation and how we know it's a quotation. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. And here Paul is speaking to a group of Greeks who tend to be immoral and loose. And Paul is quoting actually what they're saying, and then he responds to it. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now it starts by saying, all things are lawful for me. Who's saying that? Is that Paul, or is it someone else being quoted? Well, it's not hard to decide. Would Paul have said that? Everything's okay. I can do whatever I want. No. All things are lawful. That couldn't be Paul. That contradicts his teaching, the teaching of the Bible. And so we should have quote marks around that. All things are lawful for me is what the Corinthians were saying. And then Paul responds. He says, but on the contrary, all things are not helpful. And so this is how the passage should read. You say... All things are lawful for me, but I, Paul, say, not all things are helpful. You say all things are lawful for me, but I, Paul, say, I'll not be brought under the power of anything. You say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for foods, but I, Paul, say that God will destroy both it and them. There's another example in chapter 7, verse 1, that says, Now concerning what you wrote to me, then he quotes them, It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Then he responds to that by saying, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. See, they were advocating celibacy. But Paul was responding and saying, no, it's just as good for a man to marry and be faithful to his wife. So we see that it was a common device for Paul to quote what they said and then respond to it. We can tell when that's happening because the quotation is in direct contrast to the surrounding verses and it contradicts his teaching elsewhere. And then he responds to it and contradicts it. Now, if we go to 1 Corinthians 14, we'll see that this is exactly what's happening. Now we can understand what's going on in these verses. Paul is actually quoting what some Jewish converts to Christ had written in a letter to Paul, complaining about women being involved in the church services. Although they were saved, they were used to the male-dominated synagogue worship. And so they found the equality of women in church life rather hard to take. They were saying, Paul, these women are prophesying. They're praying out loud. They're preaching the oral law from Moses. Tells us that it is shameful for a woman to speak in public. Paul, tell them to shut up. And so as Paul is teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how every member of the church can participate in the services, it's the natural place for him to bring up this objection and deal with it. So he quotes what they say, and then he gives them his answer. Let's read you the passage now, as it should be read, and see what you think. I'm going to start at verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Verse 31, he goes on and says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. <coughs> For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as the law also says. And if, if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Then Paul answers them in verse 36, What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it to you only? If anyone think himself a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you, they are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone chooses to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Let him hold on to his traditions if he wants to do that. 
And so Paul replies to what they say by asserting his apostolic authority over the above, over the oral law. Can you see now how these verses on silencing women stand in contrast and contradiction to the rest of the chapter? How Paul rebuts them after they've been quoted. And so these verses have all the hallmarks of being a quotation of a group in the Corinthian church who didn't like the style of services and they tried to get Paul to get the women to shut up. But then Paul says, no, that's wrong. We're not bound by the Jewish traditions. You need to follow my apostolic teaching that's based on the teaching of Jesus. This explains, you see, why the words, why this verse seems to just come out of the blue, interrupting the flow of thought. And then Paul picks it up again in verse 39 and 40. He says, therefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and don't forbid to speak in tongues. Yes, move in, move in the gifts of the Spirit. And he gets back to encourage the whole church in this way, men and women. You see, the placement of verse 34 and 35, the law of silence, in the passage is a clear interruption and a marked contrast to what he's teaching. And that serves to separate those verses from Paul's own views, the way it is in contrast to what he's been saying elsewhere. I conclude that Paul is not silencing women, rather the opposite. He is not anti-women, he's not discouraging women, he's not stopping women moving into ministry, speaking the word and so forth. That is not Paul's desire. In fact, he's coming against those who are trying to put that restriction and burden on women. He's saying, let all prophesy, let all speak under the inspiration of the Spirit. You see, the Jewish traditions are wrong. The oppression of women in synagogue life and in church life is wrong. And those who are too quick to agree with the law of, of silencing women in these verses, they've unwittingly submitted themselves to a pharisaical spirit. They are regurgitating the teaching of the Pharisees that Jesus opposed. They are not bringing forth the teaching of Jesus or of Paul. Let me say this in conclusion. Firstly, the false teaching of silencing women has done a lot of harm to the church and stopped a lot of anointed women from ministering as they ought to be able to minister. It's got to stop. Secondly, I want to speak to women who are being used by the Lord. You're speaking God's word, but you feel a little guilty because you're worried that this scripture might be telling you that you shouldn't really be ministering. And yet you know God's called you. He's anointed you. Well, I pray that you will now feel released in the Lord and have no condemnation as you share the word of God publicly. Woman, you are loosed from that bondage. Fulfill your ministry in Jesus' name. I want to pray now. First of all, I want to pray for men who maybe unwittingly, out of ignorance, you have blocked women in the ministry because you misunderstood this verse. I want to ask you to repent before the Lord for doing that and, and to receive the true spirit of God in this area. And then I want to pray for women to release you into fulfilling your ministry, to speak what God has told you to speak, but to do it in all gentleness and humility. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we pray. Lord, as men, Lord, we ask you to forgive us if we have blocked women who are called and anointed of God because we'd misunderstood the scripture. We, Lord, we ask you for forgiveness and we humble ourselves before you, Lord, that we should help uh, the ladies to do God's will. In Jesus' name. Right now, I pray for the ladies. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would be released
to fulfill the calling of God on your life, to minister God's word and God's life to people and to be free from condemnation in Jesus' name, that you will minister in gentleness and love and God's life will flow through you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The victory is yours, Lord. The victory is yours. I've never been so sure, Lord. The victory is yours. I stand on holy ground now. What do I have to fear when I know the victory is yours? Oh, I was in the darkness. I just could not see. How it could be saved by the cross of Calvary I didn't know what freedom that awaited me Until my Jesus set me free Oh, I just want to tell the world what God has done for me The day that I come, save me, Lord, was the day 